0: Welcome back to the millions listening online. All righty. Who will go for us? Pardon? Yeah. Thanks. That's good. do, 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 I need to do this till the last minute. Okay guys, let's go. Um, So the title for today's teaching is The Judah Anointing. The Judah Anointing, that's what it's called. Um, I'm sure many have spoken about titles like this, but just felt that that's what we need to call it. Um, And I'm hoping that every teaching that's brought to you is what God desires for us that week. So let's go with that. So the Judah anointing. um, An anointing is the power of the Spirit or the presence or the life of the Spirit that is given to a person or a group of people at any particular time to accomplish a certain God purpose. That's what an anointing is. An anointing is the presence power, life of the Holy Spirit that is made available available to a person, people at a particular time at a particular time to accomplish a specific God purpose. So whenever we then take words like Judah and put it before anointing, all we mean is, this is the kind of power, presence, life of the spirit that was upon certain event or a certain person or a certain people group in the bible and so when the holy spirit's going to do the same thing with us this is what's going to happen so um, that's the sense of it so that's how one can define anointing and so here's the other thing then i forgot to bring my other gadget so we'll just have to keep writing like the good old days um, here's the other thing, that that if the Holy Spirit is, wants to do this in our midst, if the Holy Spirit wants uh, uh, to empower us this way, then an anointing falls on a people, an anointing falls on a people when they are able to hear and receive, when they are able to hear and receive, and when they are willing to allow the word to shape them. These are some of the things that we don't necessarily realize, that just because the presence of God is in a place and he has an intent or a purpose, doesn't mean that you act, you you just naturally get encompassed by it. If the presence of God is in a place and there are words that are being spoken by him to accomplish a purpose. It is required of me to first hear and receive. After hearing and receiving it, I have to allow the word that is being sent to shape me. Now, how do I allow the word that is sent to shape me? Uh, it is by one, desire for what is being said, two, conviction and repentance, and repentance here is not sin. It is changing my mind. That's what I mean by repentance. And three, um, a hunger, a hunger, um, hungry, uh, a hungry response. So these are the things that allow the word that is being spoken to shape me. So y- you and I have had this experience where we are sitting in a uh, place and someone is speaking and the person doesn't need to have or- oratorial skills, can be really, monotonous speaking, and yet something begins to trigger inside. Why? Because we are hearing and receiving what is being spoken, and we suddenly recognize it's God. Second, we allow the word to begin to shape us. And as it begins to shape us, uh, desire be- gets ignited in our hearts, and conviction takes over, as in, i got to change in this area. I have to change my way of thinking. And then as that happens, there's a hungry response. Because desire and hungry response are two things. Desire is wanting something. Hungry response is responding to what we want now that it's being given. So these are the things that are necessary if we are to walk in this thing called the Judah anointing, which I'm assuming is something that we need to hear today. Any questions? This is how it works with any anointing. Any questions? So as I'm speaking, I'm trying to listen so that I also walk in this. Because if I don't listen to the words that I'm speaking, then again I end up in the same place. I have to be shaped by it too. Any questions, guys? Cool. In which case... Let's now kind of define what the Judah anointing is. The Judah anointing is a forerunner anointing. The Judah anointing is a forerunner anointing. A forerunner anointing, as in it's um, what goes ahead. Another word for it could be advance guard. Uh, So it's a forerunner anointing or an advance guard. And it even people that walk under this, uh, it becomes their life work, it becomes their lifestyle. That's who they become. If you go to Hebrews 6:20, Hebrews 6:20, you'll see that this was very much a part of who Jesus was. Hebrews 6:20. So in Hebrews 6. Um, 19 onwards, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. One more time. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So it's a forerunner anointing. As in, it runs before others. It is ahead it is an advanced guard, as in it is, the, it, is a, it is a group that goes in advance of the rest. That's the sense of it. One of the first things that was spoken over this church by Eddie, uh, October 5th, 2008, or 2007, 2008, I think, was Guys, this church has a forerunner anointing. You are like Judah that is on the forefront. That was something that was spoken in 2008. And so it's very natural for us to behave like this. So all we are doing is revisiting something that was spoken over us 13 years ago, almost to the month. So what happens with this foreign anointing is your entrance, your entrance opens the way for others to follow. Your entrance, opens the way for others to follow. Your entrance opens the way for others to follow. God sends you ahead. And he's done this with so many people. He sends Joseph ahead of the famine so that fledgling Israel, as in Jacob and his 12 sons, do not die. He sends Joseph ahead. Jesus is sent ahead so the rest of us can go in. Paul is sent to the Gentiles so the rest of us can follow. That's what a forerunner anointing looks like. So your entrance opens the way for others to follow. And this is why you need an anointing, because the anointing is a supernatural ability that the Holy Spirit gives through His presence, His power, and His life, so that a particular purpose that God has in mind can be accomplished on earth through an individual, through a group of people because the spirit of God empowers you, that's how this works otherwise you can't do this, this is way too tough Joseph would have never survived he gets uh, betrayed by his brothers and uh, his dad and mom turn their back on him, he gets sold as a slave he gets falsely accused he's thrown into prison, nobody survives things like this if you do not have the power of God present on you you just don't survive And so this is why it's so important that it actually carry the power, the presence, and the life of God upon a people. Then they are able to do this. Then they laugh and do this. They don't even feel like, oh, suffering for the Lord. No. Okay, so let's look at what people who carry this anointing behave like. What's their conduct like? So the first one is that uh, these are people are uh, people that are anointed this way. They enter behind the curtain. Hebrews 6:20, we just read it. They enter behind the curtain, as in, "They are not people who are satisfied with a visitation from God on Sunday, with a visitation from God on Sunday." they know what it is to enter behind the curtain. Uh, Or like we're talking about the curtain in the temple, which no longer exists, but the idea is you enter behind the curtain and you live in presence. You are beginning to learn how to live in his presence. And you find that you are more aware of him than you've ever been. And it comes because you've learned how to first delight And then discipline yourself to enter and stay. Joshua was like this in Exodus 33 verse 14. Moses would go to the tent of meeting and he would meet God there. And Joshua would enter with him. But after Moses would leave, Joshua would still stand just awed at the glory of God that was present in the tent. And he would just stay there. eh? He wouldn't leave. And so one of the first um, things that should happen to a people who are walking under this anointing, and I really believe that we are people like that, just because God destined us and invited us in different churches of different characteristics. But anyone who comes into this place will carry this. And one of the things we can do to help God accomplish what he wants here on earth through us is to learn how not to be satisfied with a visitation from God on Sunday just refuse it you should Uh, one of the prayers I was praying I think in New York or LA was oh God uh, can you just um, make me aware when I haven't missed you can you just knock on my door and say you haven't missed me for the last four hours Where where he's absent and you don't even know it because life is just fine without him. And yet, people in love, my God, if you can't smell a perfume, you panic. And yet, we can go without a whiff of his aroma for hours on end and not even realize that he's missing, that he's present and you are (laughs) missing. So telling the Lord, Father, could you just remind me uh, when I, I don't even realize you're not around for three, four hours. As in cough or do something. So, so, uh, <laughs> so. <laughs> when I was in South Africa, this lady kept saying this and it just bothered me a lot um, she said, uh, when giraffes cough, they go behind a bush. <laughs> and uh, I'm thinking to myself, really? I'm in this safari in a bush in South Africa. And, she, and I'm saying, really? And she said, yeah, whenever they cough, they go behind a bush. And I'm thinking of this giraffe with a long neck going behind a bush, <laughs> coughing and coming out. <laughs> and then, then I realized that uh, she was pronouncing the word C-A-L-F as cough. Yeah, so. Yeah, so when giraffes cough, they go behind the bush. So that's understandable. But somehow, I mean, I I don't even cover my mouth sometimes when I cough, till COVID began. But giraffes going off into the bush to cough, so. Yeah, it took a while. I actually went and asked Eddie, Eddie, is that true? Giraffes go behind the bush when they cough, and then that's when I realized what was happening. So you learn to live in his presence. Uh, and uh, instead sort of um, yeah, I, 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 th- this is a characteristic of a Judah people, a Judah, of a people who walk in the Judah anointing, and uh, the way to live in His presence is delight and then discipline. The way to live in His presence is first delight, and then discipline. Both are important, eh? Those that only uh, hone in on delight, there'll be days when they're not very delighted and so there'll be no presence. And then there are those that are disciplined and with the disciplined thing, they, they stand in God's presence but can never engage his heart. It's delight and discipline. That's how you enter and stay. It's a great place to be. This is, um, I know you know this but it's a good idea to visit again. The next one next one is um, once with the Judah anointing carry the ark on their shoulders they carry the ark on their shoulders I'll explain that if Rosalind was here she'd say could you use another pen please so um, so People who carry a Judah anointing carry the Ark of God on their shoulders. Because in the Old Testament, whenever they carried the Ark, they would carry it on their shoulders. And guys, there's something called, even though God is father and elder brother and friend, there is something called relational protocol. As in, hey, Jacob, there's a way that I expect you to relate and conduct yourself vertically and horizontally with people. Vertically with me, horizontally with people. And if this is missing in your life, you will mess up because there are certain ways I want you to do things. So you cannot, for instance, one person cannot carry the ark. One person could not carry the ark. It was at least a minimum of four people. They had to carry it on their shoulders. They had to be in the front of the line. It was the first thing. It was the first thing that went ahead of Israel. It was first. It had to be carried on the shoulders. It could not be one person. It had to be four. There was this idea of vertical and horizontal protocol, as in there's a way you have to behave with me, God, and there is a way you have to behave with uh, people around you. All to say that once that walk in this Judah anointing, uh, the way you... The way you, you have to be God-dependent and body-reliant. God-dependent and body-reliant. You have to be God-dependent and body-reliant. And if this isn't part of who you are, then you never, hey, we have friends of yours here. said, <laughs> so these were the guys I was telling you about. There's Tony... Good to see you. Hardly any applause, man. <laughs> I hope you feel welcome. <laughs> yeah. So you have to be God dependent and body reliant. The point I'm trying to make is this it is impossible to walk in the Judah anointing as long as I am operating as a maverick, or I'm operating as a leader, or I'm operating as a pastor without a dependence on you. I will not have the authority required to do anything here on earth if I walk that way. Judah was not a person. Yes, there was a person called Judah who was the son of Jacob, but this was a tribe and the tribe was anointed. When, when Moses prophesies on the tribe of Judah, he's talking about a people. And One of the first things God requires of them is, listen, you will carry the ark, but you will carry the ark on your shoulders. You will not carry it alone, you will carry it with others. And if you do, I will give you the kind of authority that no other tribe has. It is the kind of authority you see reflected in Revelations 2, verse 26 and 27, where God says, listen, I'll give you the scepter so that you can wield it with authority over the nations. If you go to Deuteronomy 33 or Genesis 48, what does it say about Judah? The scepter will never depart from between your feet. And so it is impossible for me, for you, for us, to operate in this unless we decide that we will be God-dependent and body-reliant. Not possible otherwise. I can't tell you how important this principle is. And if we choose not to walk this way, then we'll end up doing what David did. We'll end up carrying the ark wrongly, either on a cart with Brings you into a whole lot of trouble. Or you touch it when you shouldn't touch it, like Aheo and Uza did. Any questions? You know, it's so easy, guys, for me as a pastor to decide that I can do this on my own. Because I'm sufficiently gifted. I say that with absolute modesty. But if I go down that route, I'm finished. All that giftedness will not matter. Because there's something called relational protocol in the kingdom. Which is, how do I relate to her? And how do I relate to him? And how do I relate to him? And if that is out of balance, it'll be like four people. It'll be like, the best way I can describe it is, Emily, me, Sue, and James carrying the ark. You can imagine how lopsided that ark will be. I just threw you in, Sue. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because, because it's impossible to hold the ark in balance unless, it's, unless there's a vertical relationship and a horizontal relationship. And that's why every time I have anything against you in my heart, I know that I better deal with it. One of my favorite lines now is, um, if, you, if you need my love, you should know you already have it. If you need my love, you should already know you have it. That should be my attitude towards you. That regardless of what you do, you should know that you already have my love. Because that's how the father is. The father is always, hey Jacob, if you need my love, You already know you have it. What if you and I could develop that attitude in our heart? Then the horizontal relational protocol is taken care of. And when it comes to God, hey, one of the things I wanted to say during worship when we were worshiping is I felt God saying, listen guys, you guys don't have to prove your love to me. I know you love me. You guys don't have to prove your love to me. I know you love me. What a relief to know that someone knows you love them, that you don't have to prove it, that you don't have to show it. That he knows your heart. And because he knows your heart, it'll express itself anyways. But that's with God in you. But what if I could establish this horizontal relational protocol too? That listen, if you need me, if you need my love, you should know that you already have it. What if that was what I carried? Through irritation, through annoyance, through you doing me harm, through me doing you harm. If we could have that, oh my God, authority would begin to rest here. There's a direct correlation between authority and intimacy. Whoever is closest to the king is the one who wields the greatest authority. Always remember that. Intimacy and authority are closely knit. You cannot wield one without the other. The closer you are to the king, the greater is your authority. Authority dwells where intimacy is present. Intimacy with God and therefore intimacy with each other. I labored that point a lot because we don't see any correlation between us behaving a certain way and the Judah anointing and authority. But can you imagine the Father, Son and Holy Spirit not being together? How authority would work then? It wouldn't. Any questions, guys? This is about when the last two weeks you guys would finish. Mm Terrible, eh? Yeah. So what I mean by protocol is there are some simple things that come out of God's idea of love that if a church does not buy into, God is not able to do much. So when I say protocol, I'm talking about this idea of, hey, because I'm all about love, you need to be this way and if you're not this way, then it doesn't matter how much faith you have, how much sacrifice you do, First Corinthians 13 goes into effect. Where you're a clanging cymbal and noisy gong so learn how to love me learn how to like yourself and then learn how to love each other and if you do this I can be anything I want in your midst and Jacob if you're not doing this then you as a pastor will screw up the church yeah it's not that we can't annoy or irritate each other you do and I do too but to be able to then take that annoyance and irritation and disappointment or whatever you feel and then say, but there is a greater quality that, oh, that that is so far above it that I will still deal with the annoyance, irritation, correction but I will deal with it in a way that is so brilliantly God. You think God isn't annoyed, irritated? Jesus was. You saw it with his disciples quite often. Angry sometimes, disturbed Sad, irritated, annoyed, particularly with his own. Capish? Okay. The next one: um, the Judah anointing allows you to enter into territory that is given to you by God, and the and rout the enemy, rout the enemy with stubbornness and endurance, stubbornness and endurance, both, huh? stubbornness and endurance. Take everything your mother and your teacher and, um, said about you, huh, when it comes to stubbornness and then use it as a weapon in the kingdom. Remember those times when your mom said you were stubborn? Now take those words and use them well. They rout the enemy with stubbornness and endurance. Guys, there's a story of a guy called Eliezer. Eliezer was one of David's mighty three. You read about him in 2 Samuel 23, verse 10. He decides that he's going to fight. So he takes a sword and he goes into a field and stands there. And he begins to fight. It gets to a point where the sword literally melts into his hand, but he will not give ground. It says, uh, uh, some versions say the sword and the hand became one. They had to literally come and take it away from him because that's how he held it. And he would not get weary. And here's what some versions uh, phrase it as. God accomplished a great victory through him. It was almost as if in that situation, God could have done it himself, but God needed him and he was not spiritually weary. There is a way you and I have to choose to be... We have to refuse to be spiritually weary. I can understand physical exhaustion, but I do not understand spiritual weariness. If there is spiritual weariness, it's usually because we're not walking in rest. So learn to walk in rest. But there is a capacity that you have because of Christ in you That is so huge That we got to not confuse physical exhaustion And spiritual weariness vir- If you're physically exhausted Lean against something But do not quit spiritually If you're physically exhausted Lie down and minister I can do that We can go on to nine tonight But refuse to fall for this thing Called spiritual weariness it's not real. It's not real. There's, there's, there's a reservoir of strength when, we, when God calls us to something. Physical exhaustion, yes. Jesus went to sleep in the boat. And his body was literally perfect. Eh? So there is something called physical exhaustion. But every time you think you're being spiritually weary, know that you are a Judah anointed people, that you need to say there's something wrong in the way I'm doing things. If I walk in rest, I do not get weary. Isaiah 40 kicks in. Those that wait upon the Lord. What is resting but waiting upon every word that proceeds from the mouth of God? Please understand that when I ask some of you leaders or non-leaders to do anything that seems demanding, it is because I know there is a capacity there that I have seen that I can tap on and place a demand on. You can, you can come and say I don't have time for it. That's understandable. But you cannot say I don't have the ability for it. You do. And unless a demand is placed on it, it doesn't work. Questions, comments, thoughts? Slight disagreements? Those that overcome spiritual weariness bring God a victory. Those that overcome spiritual weariness bring God a victory. I love that. You bring God a victory. He doesn't have to go looking for um, candidate number 21 since the last 20 have failed. He just gets his first choice, right? Jacob, what does spiritual weariness look like? Burnout. Can you maybe rephrase the question so people understand what it is? Diana has asked a question. The question goes like this. Jacob, what does spiritual weariness look like? Now, let me answer it. So spiritual weariness sometimes looks like just... Uh, spiritual weariness. One, burnout. As in, you do not have the ability to function anymore spiritually because you have burnt yourself out. uh, Two, um, emotional inability to now do anything spiritually because your emotions and your spiritual condition are no longer in sync. Three, the inability to forgive, release, forget, and move on. Four, equating physical exhaustion with spiritual weariness. Five, choosing not to inconvenience yourself, because I need my time. (sighs) Um, There's nothing wrong with my time, guys. It's good to have my time, but not if it's just a matter of inconvenience. Not if it's just a matter of inconvenience. Uh, please don't think of time and physical exhaustion as spiritual weariness. They're two separate things. And one of the best ways to handle this is, Father, I will rest and work. I will rest and work. I will rest and work. All spiritual work will be done from a place of rest. I refuse to do it any other way. So that what comes out of me is what is already in me, and I don't even know what is in me because it's far greater than what I have actually experimented with. That's how this works. And I will try and make my emotions and my spiritual condition match up. One of the easiest ways to do that, I'm not talking about situations where you're going through a period when things are depressive. I'm not talking about that, because some conditions are chemical, clinical, and spiritual. I'm talking about under normal circumstances, where you are in a place where you have found how to get to a place of joy in about 20 hours and two minutes. (laughs) Where some of us, it'll take 20 hours to get to a place of ha-ha-ha. For others, it'll take two minutes. But once you begin to get to this central place called joy, you'll find that joy is almost at the pinnacle of all emotions. You get there and all the other emotions settle. Why? Because it is the thing that gives us greatest strength. This joy of the Lord is my Strength. strength. Everything else begins to align. And so the faster you get to a place of joy from really sad, despondent, desperate, fearful places, the quicker you will find that your spiritual condition operates really well when joy is around. And it's, again, a matter of delight and discipline. Never a matter of just discipline. Yeah, and the yeah the more the more you are at rest, and the more the spirit of God has play, the greater your your physical strength is. How does a man, an ordinary man, fast for forty days? There must be something that he had going with God, both he and Moses and others. Elijah. I mean, some of you have been watching that Jesus thingy, right, what's it called? The chosen. the chosen. What does it feel like to start your day in the morning and go healing hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, casting out demons, comforting them, ministering to them? What does it feel like for a man from Nazareth? Then how does he get up in the morning and then go again, spend some more time with his father and come back? And then he's got to deal with John and James' mother because she's out to crown them king. Always remember, guys, what are we trying to do? We're trying to show the world that there is a way to do things more excellently so that there's a model to follow. Never back off from that, eh? Die trying that. And die quietly. And die trying that and die quietly. Don't write songs. Next one, um, you, you like Judah, have the ability to throw the enemy into disarray with your praise. You like Judah, have the ability to throw the enemy into disarray with your praise. Your praise is a two-edged sword. Your praise is a two-edged sword. Judah was always sent out in the front. Jehoshaphat also, when he sent his people out, Judah was at the forefront. God told Judah to lead. Judah means praise. Your praise becomes a two-edged sword. What does praise that becomes a two-edged sword sound like? It has the sound of the king in your midst. It has the sound of justice. It has the sound of vengeance has a sound of judgment. Hallelujah. Explore this. Selah. What what does it look like when you are in a prison cell shackled with eight guards outside and there's a friend called Silas and you (laughs) have the ability to now (laughs) begin to take up praise that is like a two-edged sword. And what is praise that sounds like a two-edged sword? It has in it the, the, the shout of a king. The shout of a king is not the shout of Jesus. The shout of a king is the shout of a people who recognize Jesus in their midst. So the sound of the king in your midst, two, it carries in it justice. There's something about making things right in your praise. Oh God, this is what is happening, this is how everything is working out, but you, oh God, make things right and my praise shall reflect that. It carries in it vengeance. Mad praise carries vengeance. Always remember the favour of God comes after the vengeance of God. In the Old Testament, his vengeance would go out and then his favour would come in. Isaiah 61, the year of Jubilee was a year when there would be favour but there was also vengeance. Psalm 149, verses 6 to 9. With your high praises, which is like a two-edged sword, you will begin to execute vengeance and judge nobles kings. Hey, good to see you, man. We'll see you next time. If you have any problem with uh, James, just let us know. And, uh, try, and help him with, try and help him with soccer. He's not very good. Yeah. Yeah. Later, guys. vengeance in it. Psalm 149 verse 6 to 9. Any questions? Uh, Sometimes no, you should shut your doors or go out on your balcony and engage in some songs like this when things are not going well. Shut your door as in, uh, uh, roll up your windows in your car and begin to shout. Pardon? Yeah, so when I'm in fear, because it's something that I'm not in control of, things are not going well, I'm scared that I'll not end up in a good place, I'll begin to take promises from God that He's given me for the situation, scripture verses, I'll put it in a song. Or if I can't uh, sing, I'll begin to speak it out loud saying... This is what is happening, but this is who you are, O oh God. This is what you promised. I'll take those promises. I'll look at my phone. I'll start singing it out because it should become a two-edged sword in my hand. What is a two-edged sword? The two-edged sword is the Word of God. You have to take the Word of God. Sometimes Rema, sometimes Logos, and you begin to wield it. It brings great joy. It brings great release. There are times when you don't have to sing a single word, like um, um, Marcus is saying, where you can absolutely be confident, resting in the word, that word will go to work. And there are other times where I have to take the sword and fight. and Let the Holy Spirit lead you, because at the end of the day, who is the author of the word, and who is the ultimate sword, swordsman? The Spirit of God. Sometimes not a word. You are so confident that like... Um, the guys did around Jericho, you don't say a word and you go around the city knowing that the city will fall. The next one is, you are sent with authority, to, Judah is always sent with authority to prepare, prepare the way and be a voice. Judah is always sent with authority to prepare the way and be a voice. To prepare the way. It was said of John the Baptist in Mark chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. That here is a voice crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way. So there are times when the voice needs to go out. Remember guys, you are a spirit word being. You are a spirit. You are a spirit word being. Therefore, take, give voice to the words of the spirit in you you are a spirit word being put voice to the words of the spirit in you use it as a sling use it as a sling because your voice is a forerunner that goes ahead of you this is a strange thing about God and scripture proves it Amos talks about it I will always speak before I Do. I will let you know before I do. Creation. How did creation happen? He spoke. Words are forerunners for God and they should become forerunners for the people of God. You know that story about Eddie's son, Paul, right? Okay. Okay. Eddie's son was Paul something O'Neill. And um, they gave him a middle name, I don't remember it, but they used to call him by the middle name and God had specifically told them to call him Paul. And Paul didn't speak for the first three years of his life or something. And then his elder brother, Edward, um, one day when they were talking and Paul was not speaking, Edward goes up to him, and he's only older by two years or something. And he goes up to him and says, what's wrong with you? Don't you know your name is Paul? And the moment he says that, Paul starts talking. And Eddie then went and literally repented before God for using a name for the child that was their middle. They, they gave him a middle name, but God had col- told them to call him Paul. And Paul said, now you can't keep Paul quiet? Our words are forerunners. God uses words as a forerunner. Your voice is a forerunner that goes ahead of you, opening the way for God to move. Opening the way for God to move. Preparing what must be established. The thing is, guys, deep calls to deep, and my silence will smother what the deep is saying to deep. As in, the Spirit of God says something, write it down, speak it. It's a God pattern. Judah does this. I will stop in 14 minutes. Yeah. And if I don't, then you get um, James's sweater, hoodie.. Yeah. Guys, Judah has a remnant mentality. Judah has a remnant mentality. Judah, oh my Lord, thank God. Can you put the clock back on? So I, okay, 12.47. Judah has a remnant mentality. Um, A remnant mentality is basically, um, it functions as a seed. It functions as a seed. A remnant is a subset of a larger aggregate a remnant is a subset of a larger aggregate that is anticipated in the future and so Judah has a remnant mentality, it doesn't matter that nobody is going with you it doesn't matter that you don't have what it takes, that people are saying really you think you can do something, what good comes out of Nazareth it doesn't matter it's uh, the attitude of that of a remnant that we are seed, uh, we'll function as seed, if we fall into the ground, something will happen in the future. A remnant is, an, is a subset of an aggregate that awaits, that is much larger, and that is anticipated in the future. And this mentality is important. It's not a survivor mentality. It is not, I'm a survivor, that old Destiny Child song. No, this is something very different. It's this thing where you Know that you have in you the potency to create something that in the future will become huge. Yeah. It, it'll become huge. It'll multiply. They're keenly aware that they are supposed to bring the rest in. And you pay the cost for others. Eh? You pay the cost for others. Isaiah 53 verse 10, it is said of Jesus that Jesus went ahead of us, that he paid a price, but this he knew, that the will of the Father will prosper in his hands and that he will see hundreds and hundreds and hundreds who will come after him into the kingdom because of what he did. I live near the the river, the Fraser River. Every day you will see this, little tugboats, smaller than about the same size as this pew, hauling in something as big as this church. And they'll turn and they'll somehow pull this blooming thing in. Houses, man, I've seen floating down that river, pulled by a little tugboat. Because that tugboat has the engine and is required to bring the rest in. That is what this mentality is. Be encouraged, church, that God has asked you to be part of this. Be encouraged that right in our foundations, we were told that we had the anointing that was upon Judah, that this was a church that would stand at the forefront. Pay the cost, man. It's worth paying the cost. Yep. I'm not sure if it's only remnant, because remnant is usually something that's left over as opposed to something that comes in the Yeah. So God kind of reassured me by saying it's kind of like the remnants of what was created in the beginning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, uh, one of the ways I would define remnant for the sake of the kingdom is very this way. A remnant is a seed with the potency to develop a forest. And God, at the end of the day, distills everything down to a remnant. He always starts with a remnant. Always comes down to one man Abraham, one man Jacob, the other one, the one man um, uh, Jesus, the one man Paul. Everything starts from that tiny little remnant. But in that remnant, you have everything that is required for an entire body to come across. It's the same thing with a fetus, right? It starts from one cell and then grows into something. That is the potency of what God does. Say eh? mustard seed, it's brilliant. This is who you are, guys, and you pay a cost. When you pay a cost, other Timothys and Titus's emerge. Next point: God resources the Judah, the Judah people. He resources them. He resources them. He resources them. He doesn't send you out without resourcing you. The only problem is you only see your provision as you walk towards it. That is just God's, just a predictable, not good habit, where you only see your provision as you walk towards it. But he always resources you. You do not see it till you start walking towards it. But as you walk towards it, it appears and he always resources. I mean, don't know what to do in New York, it doesn't matter, walk towards it. Don't know how um, to fund New York, doesn't matter, walk towards it. As you walk towards it, it comes. Therefore, this church has never had a budget. This church cannot have a budget. You cannot have a budget if you're a Judah anointing church because there are no limits. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> People who walk under the Judah anointing have a different spirit. They have a different spirit. Anyone can have this, guys. But if this is the table you're eating from, you don't even have to go looking for this table because it's there in front of you. It's not some special thing that God is giving us. It is just that this is something God gave us, and we are just making sure that we don't uh, walk away from this table and instead sit at it. A different spirit is one that follows fully. These are some things that a different spirit does one that follows fully. As in, there's no half measures here, one that waits for God one that waits for God, won't go rushing into things because they know that walking in rest is the easiest way to accomplish a lot without doing much really, walking in rest is the easiest way to accomplish a lot without doing much why would you want to do it any other way? third, they don't amend what they're given they don't amend what they're giving, given Whatever God tells them to do, there's no amendment. This is it, do it this way. Can't amend it, can't change it. Neither circumstances nor culture allow you. They don't faint because the um, road is long. They don't faint. These are some of the things of people that have a most excellent spirit. (laughs) They run and they're not weary because of these things that they walk in. But in the process, They are last in the eyes of people who think they are very foolish, but they are first in line with God. And they are despised by Saul's daughter. I was going to say they are despised by Michael, but then we might come to wrong conclusions, so I'll call him... Yeah. David, David was like this, last in the line. His dad didn't even call him up, man, for the parade. How do you not call all your sons up? He doesn't even call him up. Last in the line. First with God, despised by Saul's daughter. So, who talks about Michael? Nobody. 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 Last two points, Pardon? No, Michael's better, Michael's better. In Hebrew it's pronounced Michael. Next one, I love this about us as a people, you as a people, they lap up water like dogs. They lap up water like dogs. It's so the one place where being called a dog is a good thing. They lap up water like dogs. They're like Gideon's 300. You lap up water like dogs, Judges chapter 7, verse 5. And what does lapping up water with, like dogs mean? It's um, eager alertness, obedience without understanding. Willingness to be stretched. That's what it looks like. And the last one, disengaged from other distractions, disengaged from civilian distractions to use Paul's words from Timothy. That's what it looks like to be, to lap up water like dogs. And I see this so about you. I mean, can you imagine what would have happened if this was not who you were? But this is how you are. And you've been like this for 16 years now. Let's embrace this anointing, huh? Because greater things await us. Eager alertness, obedience without understanding. Nobody here wants to know why, how, when, where. I mean, we jump into things foolishly. And even those connected with us now do that. People move from Houston to New York, New York to LA. Who does that? Who, who leaves Vernon and comes to Vancouver? Four of them, <laughs> disengaged from civilian distractions. And then the last point, yes! The last point is, um, they come against the empty traditions of men and the empty superstitions of the spirit world. They come against the empty traditions of men and the empty superstitions of the spirit world. They come against the empty traditions of men, as in, there's no tolerance for traditions or um, cultural hang-ups. Two or three times in New York and LA, I was asked a question, hey, uh, so is your church Indian? Cause like attracts, like so. Everybody expected that the church I raised must be Indian. Uh, and I said no, and then I told them a little secret that in the beginning when we started, I made sure that no Indian knew I was starting a church. So, because you could be anything else, but because some some sometimes it can get very clannish, where if you start with an Indian core, then Indian culture will take over. And thank God we started with a non Indian core. And uh, now it's not Indian. The only Indian here is Evan. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Hey, this time is not mine, this time is Karen and Diana's. Go ahead, Karen superstitions of the spirit world, superstitions of the spirit world. The empty traditions of men and the empty superstitions of the spirit world, they come against both. They come against both. Do not to- tolerate the traditions of men or the culture, cultural hang-ups because these are the things that usually are behind every ideology and system. Either the empty superstitions of the spirit world or the empty traditions of men are always behind the ideologies and the systems of the world. Paul talks about it. Elemental spirits of the world. Stoichia. And because they don't do this, they have the ability now to go up and uh, repossess nations, repossess uh, places that are desolate, one life at a time. That is how Judah works. I know you know the story, but in 2 Kings 17, 26 to 28, 2 Kings 17, 26 to 28, a king captures Israel. He's got a problem, though. Lions are ravaging the land. So so he, he takes Israel, and then he brings his people and settles them in Israelite land. But there are lions ravaging the land. And so he says... The only way to get rid of these lions is to find some priests from Israel and send them to the land so that they can teach the people who now live in the land the law of their God. This is how you resettle things. Where you send the people of God into places, one life at a time, to resettle so that the lions no longer devour. Second Kings 17, 26-28, fascinating story. Yeah. I'm done. Made it. I can take the jacket back. Hey, this is a good church. Huh? I- I'm saying it after not being here for two weeks. Returning here is really good. A church is made up of its people. It's a good place to return to. I I find it very refreshing coming here, man. And... Uh, it's a good church. Let's just pray that God will now anoint us with God will, God will refresh us in the Judah anointing right now. Let's just pray that. Can, can two or three people just pray into that and I'll conclude. Pray loudly yeah. Go for it, guys. You let your voice be a forerunner. Father, I'm reminded of the verse that says, We are your people, the chief of your pastor. to understand each point Mm. and may it not be that difficult to walk in it, Father. Mm. That we would go forth knowing that you have a purpose in hearing this word today. Mm. So help us to be uh, help us to listen with faith Mm. and follow your instructions. Thank you, Lord. amen. Amen. Father, let us walk forward foolishly into what you're calling us to. Mm. Remembering that you own the cattle on a thousand hills, that you own everything, that you made everything and you own everything. Mm. And that should give us no cause for apprehension or worry to just walk forward foolishly into what you've called us to do. Thank you. Anyone else? Father, I just rise on behalf of the symbol. Thank you, Father. Yeah. 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 Church. Yeah. We bless them. yeah and we Hallelujah. The that they have laid. Yeah. And we just say we carry that torch and we want to run for it. Hallelujah. Yes. Father, I pray that you would send your spirit and that we would leave with a fresh yes. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Let me read from Genesis and end then. Genesis chapter 49, reading from the message. Father, we just received these words now from Genesis 49 8 to 10. And we receive it just as a gift from you and we pray like others I pray that we be responsible before you and walk well before you and like Jane was praying um, leave with a fresh understanding of this anointing that you put into this church long ago Genesis 49 verse 8 to 10 from the message you Judah your brothers will praise you your fingers on your enemy's throat while your brothers honor you you are a lion's cub Judah home fresh from the kill my son Look at him, crouched like a lion, king of the beasts. Who dares messes with him? The scepter shall not leave Judah. He'll keep a firm grip on the command staff until the ultimate ruler comes and the nations obey him. Amen? Bless you guys as you go.